Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. As always, I'm trying to get you guys to my other platforms. I'm not just on YouTube. If you're watching this live on YouTube in the next couple days, I'll have it up on Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other audio platforms. And then you can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'm also on Gab, Float, and Getter. And you can find most of those links in the description. And I am going to be having a website up and running soon. But for now, if you want to support me, please go to Patreon and support me there. That is also linked in the description. I uh, got a good guest tonight. He is, I think, this is his third or fourth time on the show. He was the Libertarian nominee for vice president in 2020. And he's been a great voice for liberty all last year. And this year, he's become, I'd say, more mainstream than he was when he was running. He's all over the place. It's great. Spike Cohen, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I love my my feature in your in your uh, opening video there. This is what government does. It sucks. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you're you're a pretty easy one to clip. Uh, it was funny. I was going through the last time you were on, and pretty much everything was you know clippable. It was soundbiteable. <laughs> you know, one of the easy yeah. ones. Some people it's kind of hard to find, but yeah. <laughs> so I do my uh, best. You were down for the. You were out for the count a little bit with COVID. You're feeling better now, all back to normal, or I'm I'm getting there. I'm now dealing with something a little bit uh, possibly related with my MS, but I, I even more on that, I'm feeling better. Um, I uh, yeah, COVID hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, I'm like, this is 2022. It's going to be the year of spike, and then I uh, it it, uh, it it hit me on. Uh, well, I knew I had it uh, around the second or the third. And then uh, and I was down for the count for about a month and a half, almost. Um, I got pneumonia and the whole thing. It was it was pretty bad. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have expected it. I, uh, I take a, a drug that keeps my MS uh, in remission. But it also the way it keeps it in remission is by kind of keeping my immune system from acting up too much, which is done very well. Um, and so, like, if you get, for example, COVID, uh, then my immune system goes, okay well that's all right and then it just kind of lets covid run through my whole body and every once in a while it looks and it's like yeah i guess we could do something now so i mean it did eventually uh i, I did eventually get over it and uh uh this is actually the first week where i really don't have any kind of uh, i'll cough occasionally but no i'm i'm good man i'm i'm, I'm getting there uh the year of spike is going to begin any day now <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad to have you back man we uh we need yeah. all the help we can get and you're a great voice for what we're trying to push. So Thank you. Uh, today, uh, I wasn't really planning on talking about this, but things got a little crazy <laughs> in Ukraine. Um, yes. So the the Donbass region, the far east region, there's two two parts of that region that have yep. basically wanted to be independent from Ukraine and wanted to join Russia back in 2014, but Putin didn't take them. So they kind of arrived at this middle ground where they can... You know, there's there's still part of Ukraine, but they have a lot more sovereignty and yeah. um, and, uh, you know, independence from Ukraine as long as they honor the Ukrainian government. Um, but Putin today said that they're going to recognize those two regions as independent states from Ukraine. And then he's also going to send some troops in to um, to maintain the peace is what he says. So I just wanted your reflection on that what do you think is going to happen what do you think we should do what do you think everybody should do 
Well, so I think we should stay the hell out of it. And I've been saying that from the beginning. And this is a perfect example of why. Depending on who you ask, this is either a region that is finally declaring its independence and getting some outside help to be able to keep itself uh, supported, or it is political manipulation that is being used to justify the invasion of a sovereign country, uh, the Ukraine, and uh, and that coupled with all the other um, uh, gamesmanship that's been happening back and forth between uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, as well as uh, Russia saying that um, uh, Ukraine, I guess uh, they said that five uh, reconnaissance troops tried to get into their country and were killed, Ukraine saying that's not true. Um, this is a perfect example of why we need to stay out of this stuff. This is happening literally on the other side of the planet. It does not involve us. Uh, from a policy or military standpoint, there's not a single U.S. military personnel who swore an oath to protect and defend the people of Ukraine or NATO or the U.N. or international law or any of that. They swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution and the American people against all enemies, foreign and domestic. There are no domestic or foreign enemies uh, of the uh, Constitution or the American people that have anything to do with what's happening there right now. And, you know, this is looking more and more like the kind of nonsense that leads to a World War One or a World War Two or just a prolonged standoff that, uh, that uh, again, we have has nothing to do with us. You know, a country that's much closer, that's going to continue to stay the hell out of it, other than maybe making their opinion known or whatever, but basically going to stay completely neutral to it. And therefore, no one's going to expect anything from them. No one's going to threaten them or anything else. Switzerland, they're going to stay completely out of it because that's what they've always done. And, uh, and as a result, uh, th there's no threat to their uh, sovereignty. There's no threat to their safety. There's no threat to anything because they mind their own business. And uh, and I, I just I I wish we started doing that. Uh, the the world policeman narrative has been a total lie. Uh, the the world police are every bit as brutal as the cops in your backyard. And uh, and frankly, it's just it's not helping anything. So I, I think what's going to happen? Who knows? I think what's it sounds like what's going to happen is uh, is uh, NATO and the West are going to get the invasion pretext that they've wanted from Russia. God knows what they're going to do next outside of sanctions. And uh, hopefully this doesn't broil over into a hot war with multiple nuclear powers. Yeah, I wish the people who are upset about what they're saying Putin is going to do to certain groups of people when yes. he moves into this region. I wish that they would care about our support of Saudi Arabia and what they're doing to the Houthis in Yemen. Um, yeah. You know, or Israel. That's a, or Israel. Yeah, both both yeah. of those are great examples where we are 100 percent unflinchingly supporting genocides yep. of people. So, I mean, you know, instead of worrying about something that's going on in some country that we have nothing to do with, how about <laughs> countries that we send, you know, billions of dollars in weapons deals or just billions of dollars in support to every year? That might be a exactly. Good Exactly. And I mean, and, and I, I love whatever I watch and, 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 you know, that Trump had his turn of doing this and Obama before him and, and, and Bush before him. I love watching U.S. presidents of all people talk about warn about the danger of having countries that are so out of control that they just invade any country they want and do whatever they want to the people there and the lives that will be lost and the danger to international safety. And I think of any person on earth, the head of the U.S. military industrial complex in that moment, to be the one to complain about that, 
uh, it would have been like, you know, in the middle of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of World War II for one of the Axis powers to stop and say, you know what, Europe could just completely blow into flames if, if some country, if some, if a group of countries were to just start invading all the countries around, like, it's just, it's literally what the U.S. military is doing and what the U.S. government is doing on a, on a scale almost unheard of. Um, and, and certainly on an unprecedented scale in terms of the, the longevity of it, and then turn around and say, you know, this could be terrible if this country were to invade this other country. And it's like, well, you're the expert in invading countries. So of course you might, you might know a little bit about that. It, it's, it's like the worst type of hypocrisy. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not a believer, but I really still believe that biblical phrase, remove the log from your own eye before you take yes. a speck out of your neighbor's eye. And, yes. you know, I get called a Russian apologist or a China apologist or, no. you know, whatever. And it, it's like, no, I mean, Israel and Saudi Arabia are countries that we are supporting and allowing them to do what they do. We're not supporting Russia with what they're doing right. to, the, yes. to the Uyghurs. We're not supporting Cuba and what they're doing to their people. We're not supporting Russia. I don't I don't like the Russian government, the Cuban government, the Chinese government, but we're not yeah. sending them billions of dollars in aid every year exactly. to continue what they're doing. So that's the big Exactly. And, and if we were, then a lot of the people that are saying that's bad would be told by corporate media that that's good. And then exactly. they'd be saying how great it is. Uh, you know, Fidel Castro, I'd say, well, not Fidel, he's not alive anymore. Uh, and it's not, it's not his uh, uh, brother who technically is in charge, but the, uh, I can't remember his name about, but basically the, the what is, what, what was, uh, what's that? I can't remember his name either, so we're even on that one. <laughs> now there are those who say that that uh, 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 Castro is still in charge. The the younger brother is still in charge, so we'll call it the Castro regime. The Castro regime, they're just doing what they need to do to keep the peace, uh, you know, for uh, you know, so that the, so that we have a great beach to to flock to during the summer. I mean, whatever nonsense that they would say, um, or or you know, just to to keep stability in the region. I mean, I think of the things that they're saying to justify the genocide against. Uh, Yemen that's happening. I mean, they, they come up with all sorts of stuff. So, you know, I, I've, I've learned and, and you can see this even with things like the Canadian trucker protest, protest against police brutality uh, here in the States, protest against mass mandates and vaccine mandates here in the U.S. Uh, you know, it's corporate media tells this side to be against it and this side to be in favor of it and then plays them against each other. And, uh, and, and that's happening now with foreign policy as well. And we seem to be the only ones who are consistent in saying, I don't trust any of these folks. I, I was actually on RT earlier talking about this, and they kept trying to get me to, you know, really stake a claim on which side I thought was right. And I just kept saying, I'm having to rely on governments here. Like we're having to rely on what, you know, they, uh, one of the questions was, uh, do you think that Vladimir Putin, uh, it seems like he's really, uh, it's wearing down on him. It's, it's weighing down on him, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, um, decisions he's having to make right now. What do you take of that? And I said, well, I'm not sure. I think that the uh, Vladimir Putin is the head of one of the largest governments on earth, a nuclear power, former member of the G8. I, I don't know how much is weighing on him and whatever level it's weighing on him. I'm sure it's weighing on everyone else involved too. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you trust them though. Um, and I, I think, I, you know, I've seen enough of statecraft to know that these are not the people I would want in charge of, you know, when my dog gets walked much less, uh, you know, foreign policy issues. And I, I think we just need to stay out of this stuff.
Yeah, I totally agree with that. I hope, I hope you can still hear me. The screen's kind of out. But um, I wanted to talk about what's going on in Canada. Um, it's funny okay. because Justin Trudeau, I found a picture of him um, from two years ago where he's kneeling in protest of police brutality yes. when the Black Lives Matter movement yep. was kind of taking off. And now he's mm-hmm. sending horses to trample innocent, peaceful protesters who are against, uh, you know, having a biosecurity state and uh, medical tyranny. Uh, And it's amazing watching the public's reaction. I mean, I I think he's gone so far that he has alienated some people who would typically be on his side. But it's amazing watching a lot of the all all cops are bastards people, you know, praising Trudeau and how they're dispersing yes. these truckers. I just, I, I can't believe the, the, the cognitive dissonance going on there. I, I loved watching the total switch off that has happened. I am actually waiting for a prominent person on social media with a thin blue line profile picture to say something like all of these cops are bastards and not realize what they're saying or the context behind that. And, and yeah, on the other side, like you said, I mean, to see, uh, you know, progressives that have been talking about, the need to reform uh, policing or even or even you know abolish uh, 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 state policing or defund the police or whatever else. And now, you know, they haven't seen a police state action they haven't liked uh, in the last year. Um, but that's the hypocrisy of statism, right? Like that this is why we as libertarians seek to completely smash this system, because we recognize this isn't that, oh, man, this would be so much better if these folks were in charge. Or it would be so much better if these folks were in charge. We recognize the problem is the power and the mechanism itself. And that most people, or at least a good number of people, are going to fall into line with what they're being told by those in charge and by the people that are in charge of, of what they're being shown uh, to decide which side they're on. Uh, which is why we're trying to remain consistent and, and show that there's another way of remaining consistent. That the police state is bad and the government telling you what to do with your body is bad. And the government telling you what you must or must not do with your body is bad. And whatever pretext they have doesn't make it okay. Neither one of us likes COVID or wants it to spread. But for that matter, neither one of us likes heroin or or meth and wants that to spread. But we recognize that the government getting involved in that just makes it worse in both of those things, which is why we're just as much against the war on drugs as we are the the, the so-called war against COVID or the war against your individual personal decisions. It's all coming from the same place. This thing is bad. So we're going to give the most, as I said before, this is what government does. It sucks. We're going to take the organization with the most proven track record of destroying everything it touches uh, to put them in charge of all of this. And when they inevitably fail, we're going to blame it on the people for not being uh, you know, um, obedient enough. And then we're going to put even more power in the hands of the, the monsters who made this thing even worse. And, you know, the cycle has to break at some point. Yeah. I think we have a lot to learn from Canadian protesters. I think we are not nearly as disciplined and we're not nearly as intelligent. I, I've just been very amazed by how well behaved they've been this entire time. I mean, there's been all sorts of media hit pieces on them, but there's been no proof yeah. of property destruction or violence no. or any of that. There's been zero proof. So I don't really believe any of it. Um, you know, I look at like January 6th or the Black Lives Matter protests and I just see lack of direction and lack of, uh, you know, lack of clarity as to what it is exactly you're looking for. And then ease of being duped into doing something stupid. So I don't know if you saw this, but 
pallets of bricks placed downtown in some of these cities. It just came out of nowhere, and it was obviously, you know, tempting to throw them through windows, and that's what ended up happening. And then uh, January 6th, I think there was some federal involvement with trying to trick people to go into the Capitol building, and they did. You, you can't bl- you can't say every person on January 6th was a Fed and everyone who no. burned a, an Arby's throughout the summer of 2020 was a Fed. They just kind of fell for it and went with it. Um, I went yeah. to one Black Lives Matter protest in 2020, and I remember I walked around to like 100 different people asking them, why are you here? What's your goal? And they all said, like, we want justice. And I said, OK, what does that mean? Um, and I was like, do you know what qualified immunity is? Do you know what civil asset forfeiture is? Do you know about no knock raids? Do you know that like a hundred billion dollars in funding from the federal government goes to police, uh, you know, police forces all around the nation or whatever. They didn't know any of it. So like there was, if, if the black lives matter protests had been like, you know, we want to get rid of qualified immunity and no knock raids, and we will go home once you do that. Um, or you like even the right wing protests that have happened, if they'd been that succinct and what they wanted and really, yep. you know, told the government, this is what we want and we'll leave. But the Canadians have done that, man. Like it's been incredibly clear the whole time. We want this. You lift these stupid mandates and we will go home. But instead, yep. Trudeau's like, no, I'm going to tow all the trucks and try to arrest all you guys and freeze all your bank accounts because that's way easier yep. than just lifting these mandates and having you disappear. But do, do you sh- do you share that admiration for like how the Canadian truckers have done this? I've just been extremely impressed. I, I think that largely they have been uh, if you're going to engage in a large scale, uh, peaceful, civil, civil disobedience, uh, it, it's been pretty well textbook. Um, and the fact that it is unfortunately appears to be largely failing uh, is due to the fact that they have a government. You know, uh, people have been saying in Canada, like can- Canadian libertarians have been saying for quite some time. Yeah, we're polite. Yeah, because our, 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 you know, our population is generally compliant. You don't see it very often, but we live in a police state and there and we're seeing it now. We're seeing that, you know, uh, the and it's funny because the protests have been as Canadian as can be. You know, they're overly polite. Uh, there's certainly, I mean, there's been yelling and things like that, but there has not been the violence that's been threatened by media and by Justin Trudeau. There hasn't been the, uh, you know, I heard that there were threats of there was going to be racial repercussions and, you know, there were going to be race-based attacks. There's been none of that. There's literally been none of that. There's been ba- bounce houses with children jumping around in them. There's been people doing line dancing out in the streets and stuff. Like, it's just, it's been, but on the other end, you have, you know, there were some screenshots link, link, leaked yesterday, uh, either yesterday or the day before, of, uh, of uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is like their federal police, uh, sharing uh, video of a, of, a, of a Mountie and his cop stomping on the throat of a Native guy who was protesting against the mandates and sharing it around in their private chat groups and saying, this is what I want to do. I can't wait to be out there. It's my time to do some throat stomping. And it just goes to show, like, the police state is the police state is the police state. Now, going back to what you said about, you know, the protest movements in this country, uh, you know, the part of the problem, or, or I'd say probably the biggest problem, is that most people in this country are completely led by their nose by what they hear in pop culture and uh, corporate media, which are the exact same thing, by the way. And pop culture isn't just the most mainstream pop culture. It's also the so-called counterculture pop culture that we're seeing like out of the, the, the remnants of what was the, the Trump movement 
that's also a type of pop culture. And it's also largely guided by one a form of corporate media. And, and so what you're getting is this you know, prevailing narrative and then this prevailing counter narrative that are both built around, I am going to make emotional decisions based on very little information. And what I'm going to do is almost assuredly not going to accomplish anything than make a cathartic thing for me to make me feel better in that moment. And they, you know, they drop a couple feds in there. And like you said, it doesn't have to be all of them being feds. It doesn't even have to be a, a sizable number of them. You only need a couple of provocateurs to get everyone else worked up. Um, and uh, I, I absolutely think that that has been what has happened. Um, you know, when uh, George Floyd was killed, um, and then when I saw a police, one of the first things that happened was a police department burned down. And I thought, well, there's violence being focused arguably, and, and it was the Minneapolis uh, uh, precinct where uh, Derek Chauvin worked out of. And I thought, okay, not sure this would be my first recommendation, uh, but it's certainly more effective than, for example, just you know walking down the street, marching down the street with a sign and waiting for riot cops to show up and getting in fights with them and losing immediately. Um, and then that's what they did for the rest of the, in, in, you know, for the, the rest of the, the series of protests. Um, and of course, the police left the rest of the city vulnerable to rioters and looters and everything else. And that kind of played out exactly how you'd want it to if you wanted the police to end up with the upper hand. Um, you know, that hundred and something billion dollars you were talking about is now nearly four hundred billion dollars. And it was Joe Biden who uh, who tripled that number by raiding the covid relief funds. Uh, and the public now largely goes, well, I guess we need it to make sure these racist right wingers have to wear masks when they go. But that's not what it's going to be used for. That's never what it's used for. It's used what it's always used for. Look who's in the prisons right now. Um, and, and the thing is, it's just that's going to continue uh, until people recognize, yeah, this marching on the streets thing uh, isn't really largely getting you anywhere. Like you said, if, if, if even half of that number of people had shown up at city council, or their county council, or even their state legislature, and said, here is a bill to end qualified immunity. Here is a bill to end no-knock raids because of the Breonna Taylor thing. Here is a bill to end civil asset forfeiture. Here is a bill to end the militarization of police. Here is a bill to uh, end or at least greatly reduce the war on drugs. Here is a bill for bail reform, you know, blah, 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 blah. Give them specific things and say, now pass this, or none of us are ever going to vote for any of you again. And in fact, here's who we're going to put up uh, to run against you. And they immediately have our support especially at the city and county level, they could have had immediate change happening right then. And instead, the media told them, well, really, this is about race, so you should be angry at racism. And then that was, that was the counter signal to the right-wingers. Oh, they're saying that you're a racist. And they got, so some guy who has absolutely nothing to do with any of this is standing up in his living room. I'm not a racist. I never did anything to anyone. And it's like, this has nothing to do with what this is about. It's, it's about power and what they're doing with it. And, and here are some actual fixes that would fix that thing. And, you know, that's not what happened. And, and, you know, at least that's what happened with the Canadian protest. So if nothing else, we can learn, okay, here is the actual thing that needs to be done. Now, here is how you can go and fix it. I hope that what comes out of this is a movement to, you know, expel politicians who are supporting this emergencies act especially the, the run on the banks it's created, the violation of people's civil liberties it's created, all of the terrible things it's created, create a movement of uh, people in the, in the conservative movement who are politically unaligned, the libertarians that are there, even some of the progressives who are dismayed at what they're seeing, and there's quite a few of them, and say, okay, we're gonna just kick out any politician we saw who supported this uh, Emergencies Act. 
from a legislative or electoral standpoint, that's their best way forward. And, uh, you know, we'll see if they do it. But I, I've, I've learned to recognize that until people really understand that the problem is liberty versus tyranny and what that actually means, that they're just going to keep going back and forth between whether or not they support the police state. Yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned that it, it seems like this protest in Canada is failing. It seems like there's mixed results. Uh, Alberta and a few other provinces sound like they're going to speed up the reduction of their restrictions. But as you That's pointed true. out, Trudeau, Trudeau has decided he's going to keep the Emergencies Act and the um, parliament just voted on it today, 130 or 185 yay, 151 nay. So they are keeping the Emergencies Act. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it is kind of disheartening. It's like, so so what should, uh, you know, what should their next step be? Is it kind of like what you were saying? Just, I mean, go to the, is it voting? Is it voting your way out of it? Like, what if that doesn't work? Yeah. What, what's the next step after this? So first of all, the fact that that vote was so close, if you see the dominance that the Liberal Party and the NDP party, which is their their allied party in the House of Commons have, I would have expected that vote to be much more lopsided than 185 to 130 or whatever you just said. So that alone tells me that there's already some hesitancy among those in power to keep this thing going. Uh, I, I think that it can be argued that you can do both and not necessarily have to choose between one or another. Yes, do the electoral thing and say we're not going to support any politician uh, who um, who continues to, to support the Emergencies Act or who voted for this. You know, that 130 people, that's our list. That's our list of people that we're going after right off the top to try to get to try to you know replace. Um, I think also from the civil disobedience standpoint, um, you know, I. I it it may be that it's not they're not going to have much uh, uh, success in Ottawa, uh, or much less in like a Toronto or something like that. But they'll have tremendous success uh, out west, um, or you know, in in Vancouver or in uh, you know in uh, um, uh, Alberta or Saskatchewan. I, I honestly don't know from like a, a strategic standpoint what would be the best way forward on that. But if they still have people that are willing to go out there and do the 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 protesting and the blockading and all of that stuff then you know that might be a good strategy going forward i i think the biggest thing is the more that people see the brutality of the police state even if they're being shown it through the through the lens of well this is necessary this is necessary i, I do think over time people do start to realize they're seeing the same police state that they were upset about two years ago there and and i i do think that that works its way in um but we'll see. I mean, it's 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 really a tough one there. I, I think I, I would say that it's probably going to have to be a multi-pronged strategy and probably the two biggest prongs are continuing what they can continue to do there from a, uh, uh, you know, a protesting standpoint. There's also I mean, I will tell you something else. The Western provinces for quite some time have been saying that Ottawa does not represent them. Uh, their elections, their federal elections are decided before their polls even close um, because of the, the time zone difference and just the sheer population difference. By the time uh, the polls close in uh, Quebec and in Ontario, it's already decided for the entire rest of the country. And I think that uh, some of the eastern provinces uh, like Nova Scotia and some of the western provinces, I think you're going to see a growing secession movement there, uh, whether that's becoming their own nation, becoming independent republics, 
uh, want, trying to join the U.S. Uh, I think there's probably a few different competing options there. Um, but I, I think that this goes to show that there is a huge difference um, between, you know, what the prevailing sentiment is in Ottawa or Toronto or Montreal uh, and, and what it is in uh, in uh, even Regina, even the capital of uh, Alberta, much less out in the, the, the rural communities and the suburban communities of those of those provinces. Yeah, uh, I'm being corrected in the comments that only the House has voted. The Senate has not voted yet. So that's not quite uh in concrete but but their senate's not elected so no that's correct if, if, if it hasn't been voted on yet but their senate's not elected their senate is political appointees it's essentially a rubber stamp of assent typically every once in a while they'll, they'll throw everyone for a loop uh and and act as a vibe check or a gut check to uh to the prime minister very 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 rarely um I, unless I've been following it all wrong, I would be utterly shocked if the Senate didn't uh, didn't vote for this as well. Stranger things have happened, but uh, typically they, they go if it goes to the House of Commons, typically it goes through the Senate every once in a while. They hopefully maybe this time they prove me wrong. Yeah, we'll see. So what do you think about something like this taking place in the United States? Because we are a different country. We haven't been as universally persecuted as they have in Canada the last couple of years. And we also have a much stronger police state. Uh, yeah. There's a trucker convoy that is apparently, I think, starting in a couple days. It's going to leave from Barstow, California and head to uh, Washington, D.C., and I can't drive in it because I don't own my truck, but I will be in Washington, D.C. the 2nd through the 6th, which I think is when the truckers are going to be arriving there sometime in between those yeah. days. So what advice would you give the protesters who are going to be involved in this? And what is your general what, what's your general outlook on how this could turn out? I'm having a hard time figuring out what the general uh, level of success could be with something like this. Um, my understanding, and you could correct me where I'm wrong here because I, you, you, you're actually a trucker. Um, we have a larger or a smaller percentage of our truckers who are owner operators compared to Canada, I believe. And in fact, you just mentioned uh, because you're not a, because you're not an owner operator, you can't participate in this. Um, the other thing is that Many uh, of these major metropolitan areas in Canada only have two or three routes by uh, by road into the country. Um, it's a much more uh, it, it's a country that is every bit as wide, actually a little bit wider than the U.S. is, has only a couple of major, a few major population centers. And then, you know, massive amounts of either nothing or very little and uh, and often typically only have you know, two or three uh, highways to get in uh, surrounded by tundra. So my understanding is it's also physically easier to blockade up there than it is uh, here. And then finally, or at least most parts of here. And then finally, like you said, we have a much more robust police state uh, than Canada does. Um, and, uh, and and it's, it's funny because we have, it's a perfect example of what happens when people are disarmed uh, mentally, because we have, uh, the largest uh, civilian gun owning population on earth. And it's not even close. Like no one comes anywhere near us. Uh, our civilian gun owning population is larger than like the top six or seven militaries combined. Like it's just, it's, it's tens of millions of people with guns. And, and many of them, when they see a, a police officer shoot an unarmed person on TV, they go, yeah, 
That'll show them. Next time, listen to what the officer says. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it just goes to show you can have everyone armed. If in here they're disarmed, if in here they think obedience, even when they're upset at government, it has been depressing to see the number of people when I'll post about what's happening in Canada and I'll see people going, why won't they hold the line against these tyrants? Talking about the police. Why won't they hold the line? Why won't they protect the people against these tyrants? And I, I resist responding to each one of them saying, because they're doing what they're doing their job. Like this is literally what their job is. You've been telling me every time I post something, not you, but they've been telling me every time I post, they're just doing their job. Yes, exactly. This is what their job is. Like they're doing what they've been hired to do. And whatever oath they took is every bit as good as the oath that the politicians took. So clearly that's not helping us in any way that they took an oath. Their job is to enforce the, the diktat of politicians. And that's the problem with the, with the institution of law enforcement. And in the U.S. where they have such a strong police state and such a strong culture of both having a brutal police state and having a population that either wants to comply with what they're telling people to comply with uh, or is resentful against others and wants force to be used against them or just generally thinks that the police should be able to do whatever they want because they're, well, I'm not, they've never really made it clear why they think the police should be able to do what they want, but they sure do want them to do it. It doesn't matter how many guns we have. Um, so, I mean, in terms of advice, I'm not even sure where to start other than I, I do think that I, I would say in general, I think that the liberty movement is something that is going to have to work from the ground up because and, and part of that is building a culture of liberty because you can't have a popular movement for liberty, violent, nonviolent, electoral, non-electoral, market based, whatever. You can't have that until you've grown a culture of liberty in enough people that there's enough people that actually agree with you about having liberty unless you decide you want to form you know, like do like a free state project thing where you're trying to just form your own little separate group and secede from it. But we've already seen in this country what happens when you try to secede from it. They'll literally kill you for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's pretty discouraging, but that's kind of the that's the um, <laughs> that's where I've arrived with it is, you know, I'm moving back to New Hampshire. That's where I'm from. Yeah. And I'm going to join the free state project because. I just don't see any way out of it otherwise. Like, I, I think we do have to build a culture that cares about liberty more than anything else, or not maybe than anything else, but, you know, a top priority. Yeah. And I think I was a little bit more optimistic that could, that, that could happen last year. But what I'm seeing now is people are just so fed up with the left that I think we're just going to have a hard right swing. And I think it'll probably be worse than what we have now, because uh, that's how it's gone historically. It just gets Typically worse so. every time it swings one way or the other. And <clears throat> I, I've been thinking about this historically. You know, um, when I was a kid in like the early 2000s, there was this extremely right wing, like ultra religious, evangelical, um, you know, conservative movement. And it was like, Harry Potter's the worst thing in the world. We need to get rid of these satanic songs. We need to cancel the Dixie Chicks. If you don't yes. stand for the flag and you don't believe in invading Iraq, then you're a terrorist sympathizer. Yep. And that yep. ran out of political capital eventually. Like it lasted like a decade. And then everyone was like, or I mean, it was, it had been going on longer than that. But from like the early 2000s, it went to like about 2008 or so. And people were like, you know what? This yep. is dumb. Like this, this sucks. And so then it swung the other way. 
And I feel like we're getting to that point again. That lasted about a decade, and now it's just getting ridiculous again. And I remember you said something on my show that's really stuck with me. You said soccer moms run the world, and I think you're right. (laughs) Like, um, They got sick of the Harry Potter bullshit eventually. They're like, this is stupid. This is dumb. And now they're getting sick of like, you know, the the woke crap and what kids are being taught in school and stuff like that. Like now and and the COVID stuff, like they're seeing that it doesn't work. My mom was actually talking to me a couple of weeks ago and I've been on this page for over a year that this is stupid and we shouldn't be doing this regardless of the, you know, my um, my my obvious opposition to it on a government level just like the common sense of anything that we've been doing has been out the window for over a year and a half now but my mom has like just arrived there and none of us are young anymore and she's even upset about like they told us that these uh you know these vaccines were going to protect us and it doesn't matter if you're you know boosted double boosted whatever you can still get omicron you know like she's getting it and i think tons of moms across the country and regular normie people are starting to get it and they seem to be the ones who dictate the swing. Like if you can get the normies sick of some bullshit, then they're going to dictate it. And most <clears throat> of the normies that I talk to, they are just so angry because I mean, and it's righteous anger. Don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. I feel like instead of embracing Liberty, we're going to embrace vengeance and I'm all for throwing Fauci and Biden and uh, you know, Gavin Newsom and those people in jail. I think they belong in jail, but I feel like this, retribution is going to be taken out instead of on the perpetrators it's going to be on the followers and that's how the government pretty much always gains its power by weaponizing your hatred against your fellow man and you you feel like you're taking the upper hand but really it's just the government like right now you know these dumbass like shit libs who are loving seeing these trucker protests get brutalized by the police. Who's really winning though? Are the shit libs really winning or is the government really winning? Is the exactly, government really exactly. But that's my fear going forward. Do you think that's accurate or are you more hopeful than I am? Uh, I'm, 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 I think that's accurate and I'm more hopeful. I'm, I'm going to play both sides of this. Uh, but, but here's the thing, what you have underscored is hundred percent correct. And it's because of democracy. So this, person i'm pointing out my uh, out the window here it's some random person walking down the road having a different opinion than me means nothing to me until they decide to vote to make their opinion enforced against me so if that person thinks man the only way we're going to get past this covid is if every one of us is triple or quadruple boosted and we're also double masked and uh, we stay socially distanced okay well that's i mean you have every right to that opinion it's when that guy votes and says, I want everyone to do that because that's what I think it should be. Or if someone votes and says, you know, I think the problem, like you said, Harry Potter, no, I think the problem is everyone isn't following my religion to the T the way I do. And because certainly none of them are hypocrites. And, uh, you know, they, we all need to follow this exactly to the T. And, and, and we should not be letting uh, people live differently than what my specific uh, religious book says that we should live. If that's their opinion, then that's fine. It's when they now vote to try to force that on us and some pandering politician on both sides of that is more than willing to pretend that that's what they're going to do. They get into office and sure, they'll try to force people to do stuff, but they'll turn right around and force you to do whatever those people tell them to force you to do. And I I say this all the time. You've got, uh, you know, on two sides, basically two sides. You've got Team Red saying, I demand that you oppress Team Blue. 
and you've got Team Blue saying, I demand that you oppress Team Red. And in a stunning show of bipartisan solidarity, the government decides to oppress both of them. And, and that's what we have over and over again. And I do think that you are going to see a massive, I think there's going to be a gigantic red wave uh, in 2022. I think it is likely, uh, I think at this point, it's po even possible that Donald Trump could get reelected in 24. Um, yep. If they put up someone who isn't Donald Trump and who is even remotely able to harness the anger against uh, Biden, which ironically, a lot of the anger against Biden is because of the deficit spending that happened under Trump. But Biden was promoting all that deficit spending. So, hey, you know what? Let's stick him with it, too. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do think that Republicans will likely uh, win the presidency. Sorry to, to whoever our nominee is. But just the reality is that that's likely what's going to happen. And like you said, OK, great. Uh, if Fauci goes to jail, which he won't, and or if Biden goes to jail, which he won't, that would be fine. But A, you'd only be replacing them with other people that should also right. be in jail for various things. And B, that's not going to happen. Remember, lock her up with Hillary Clinton. And one of the first things Trump said after he got elected was, oh, no, America needs to heal. I'm definitely not going to throw Bill or Hillary in jail. Well, that was like one of his main campaign uh, 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 planks, uh, uh, main issues that he talked about was locking up Hillary Clinton, especially towards the end. We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to yeah. lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And then he gets elected and he goes, no, we're not going to really lock her up. They're going to lock you up, though. If you break the law, you get locked up. If if one of the people that voted for Hillary breaks the law, they're certainly going to lock them up. They're not going to lock the people in power up, which is why, again, this is when people recognize that that democracy turns your neighbor into your either your your ally or your enemy in a way that it really shouldn't that you, you shouldn't have that kind of relationship with, with neighbors and strangers um and then also that the system that is set up is just an endless good cop bad cop routine that pushes that swing that you're talking about where normies and, and soccer moms are kind of the the spears edge of normies which is why i say they run the world but you know normies going back and forth between Oh, look at what Team Red did to me. I'm voting Team Blue. Look at what Team Blue did to me. I'm voting Team Red. Uh, it's it's never it's never going to end, and uh, and it, it is going to keep getting worse. I mean, you think that the ban Harry Potter and violent video games and uh, and ban and you know cancel the Dixie Chicks was bad? Uh, you know what happens in response to what we've been seeing for the last 10, 15 years? There may be a few of your people watching the show who go, uh, "That'll be great. I can't wait till that happens." Mm, I think you're. Maybe it'll be cathartic to you a couple times to see someone that you really, really don't like getting in trouble or whatever. But just know that power is growing just so much that when it comes swings back to hit you, it's going to be even harder than it was this time. And and that doesn't end until we recognize that this this good cop, bad car, you know, I can't wait till my turn to watch them suffer uh, needs to end. And that, that, you know, we we should be free. We should not have to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, I'm moving back to New Hampshire and I'm going to invest my life into the free state project because I don't improvement. Uh, but what is do you think libertarians should try to advance liberty? Because I agree with you, we're not going to win the presidency. And even if we did, I don't really think that we'd accomplish that much. I think we'd be able to do a couple things, but I think it really is from the bottom up like you're talking. So... How would you suggest libertarians around the country try to make their world more libertarian in a meaningful way uh, this year in 2022? So the shortest answer to that is do what you are led to do, because that's what's driving you and that's where you're likely to be most effective. So, for example, 
you're headed to New Hampshire to do free state project. I wouldn't talk you out of that for anything because clearly that is where you feel right now, this is the best way to go. And it, and it may be, um, and if it, if it may not be for everyone, it may just be for you and for others who do that. And that's great. I've had other people come to me and go, I'm going to double, triple, quadruple my time down into the Libertarian Party and get as many Libertarians elected across the country as we possibly can. I wouldn't advise anyone against that. That's definitely what you should be doing if that's what you feel driven to do. Uh, for those who are saying, I'm going to go join the Republican Liberty Caucus and, and change the Republican Party from the inside, good luck. If Ron Paul wasn't able to do it, well, anyway, good luck. But, uh, you know, if but if that's what you feel drawn to do and maybe you're able to have some small successes in doing so, especially at the local level, then go ahead. I can tell you what, what I'm doing. Um, and that is I'm working on localized activism. Uh, I think that there are so many we spend so much time worried about. I mean, forget looking at Russia or Ukraine 10,000 miles away. We look at D.C. and we look at stuff that we are in no position to affect one way or another. And we spend a lot of time being upset about it. And there are so many things we could be doing at the city level or the county level or even the state level on some things to change things right now. You're upset about gun control? Make your Fight to make your county a Second Amendment sanctuary state. Make it uh, effectively impossible for the ATF to enforce any of their laws by you know, making it so that law enforcement can't cooperate with them on it. Uh, you know, uh, push. You're upset about police brutality, then push to end qualified immunity, push to end civil asset forfeiture. You can do that at local and state level. And we've had some success with that. There's like two or three guys in uh, Tennessee who passed an end to uh, no knock raids uh, and also put some uh, some restrictions on civil asset forfeiture. Uh, th they were able to do that just by lobbying people in the state legislature. The other thing that this does is it builds a what and I've talked about this before, a culture of winning. That instead of talking about, God, this whole system's falling apart, there's nothing we can do about it. Man, if there were only something we could do about it, let's do, even if there's small things, let's do something about something. Because now we're building, okay, well, we won at that. Now let's go and fight for this thing. And now we've won yet another thing. Maybe it's not the biggest things, but it's something. And what that also does is it attracts people and gives them an opportunity to buy in without having to become libertarian and be baptized into libertarianism or join the libertarian party. If they agree with us on fighting this one thing, a tax increase, a mass mandate, a new gun control order, whatever, then you guys can get together, eminent domain abuse, whatever, you guys can get together on that one thing at the local level, at the county level, at the state level, and actually accomplish something and then say, hey, that's great. Okay, here's this next thing we're doing. Anyone wanna join us for that? And it may be a completely different group of people that join you. I think what you'll likely find is that a lot of people that agreed with you on the mask mandate, suddenly they're going, oh, you know, I can see your argument behind ending qualified immunity. And I think you're gonna have a lot of converts coming over because they needed, they just wanted to change the status quo and they see you doing that. And that's how we bring people in. I, I don't think, I, and, and I think you can eventually have liber more libertarians elected as a result of that. And I think there are plenty of opportunities now to get more libertarians elected. But I think we've been putting the cart before the horse. We're so focused on getting libertarians elected. To what end? And by what means? If the people that they are seeking to govern over still want the same tyranny that they're replacing, we're going to be there, what, two years, four years, six years, whatever the term is? and then get kicked out because we didn't do the tyranny that they were hoping we'd do, that you make cultural changes by bringing people into your culture. And I think personally, my focus is gonna be on already 
finding where we agree with people and just working with them on that. That solves problems now, even if they aren't the Fed or the wars overseas, it solves problems now and it builds a culture uh, of winning and a culture of liberty. Uh, and then you can even, I mean, if you could pass defend the guard in your state, you just made it that much harder for the military industrial complex. Uh, if you pass laws uh, in your state or get politicians in your state who are more friendly to crypto, that's at least a small blow against the Fed. All of these things can add up. And I, I think that's where it's going to be. But it, and in the meantime, if, you, if there are people that want to join these different, um, you know, free state project or, or any kind of, you know, separate group to, to try to, uh, you know, make their specific area more libertarian, then do that. I, I think really people need to go where they feel led. Yeah, um, I think that the importance of trying to create a culture around liberty is, I mean, it's just paramount. And I joined the Libertarian Party in 2020 because I had tried working or not really working, but I, I I'd supported Rand Paul in 2016 and just seen how it went. And then I was actively in the Democrat Party trying to support Tulsi and just saw how what a disaster that was. And so yeah. I was like, we really need something else. But I was just thinking politically at that point. But it's gotten to the point now where I don't think it's just about politics. Like, we just need a community of people who are done with this shit. Because, yeah. I mean, this might sound kind of alarmist, but I, I don't think it's that much of a stretch. We're kind of living in the Weimar Republic right now. You know, like everyone's being, you know, a lot of people have been marginalized. They're living through massive inflation they're losing their jobs and it's the perfect i mean if you wanted to create nazis i'm being a little hyperbolic now but if you wanted to create nazis you have the perfect environment for it you have people ready to be illogical and to grab on to some sort of strong yeah. man who could completely lead them astray and it's really terrifying to me um and maybe maybe it'll maybe the pendulum will swing again maybe this is just the next thing and then it's going to go back and it's going to keep doing this yeah. for a couple decades i don't know but man like things are tense right now people are hateful and we just <laughs> we really really need to create um a different lifestyle that people can look at and you know it needs to be inclusive of a lot of different uh you know a lot of different uh, religions and different backgrounds like it is but it's so important and i mean i'm just i don't really know I, I didn't really ask a question there but i don't know if you want to build off that at all <laughs> yeah i i think i think we have to show an alternative right like if if all anyone has ever seen is this endless back and forth fighting uh then we need to present a, a, an alternative and here's something and i i am always sparing in how i talk about this but it was funny that of, of all people, one of the, um, uh, I guess, uh, celebrities, even though I think she's only a minor celebrity, but one of the celebrities who has made the most sense this year so far, actually, I think it was the end of last year, but recently was Sarah Silverman. She said something about national divorce. And everyone initially, you know, her, her core supporters were like, yeah, I want a national divorce from these right wing Trumper Nazis. And then the next tier of shit libs as you put it said no we have to remain strong together the united states did you know that our coins say e pluribus unum and that means out of many one and a, we are one nation uh, indivisible and it's like but we're none of those things and we never have been and and i i think that 
you know, in the same way that if you're in a relationship where you're constantly hitting each other and, and each one of you is gaslighting each other and lying to each other and, and you know, uh, cheating on each other and abusing each other and cheating with money and high, keeping secrets from one another and you secretly resent each other. And the only reason you're together is because there's a contract that said you got married. Maybe don't be married anymore. Like if that, that the one thing holding you together is, well, this thing says that we're married. Well, then don't be like, let's change that. So I, I do think, I think part of this may end up being, you know, uh, I, I think there are a few different ways this could end, but I think one of the positive ways it could end is if there was enough of a popular groundswell across the political spectrum and for many different reasons to say, you know what, I actually hate these people. I don't want to be in the same, I don't want their vote to affect me. I don't want their decisions to affect me. I think that you could see a, uh, a, a few secession movements and a, you know, quote unquote, national divorce movement. I don't know how successful it would be, but I think even just that becoming a mainstream thing that people are talking about would put a lot of pause on, on what politicians are promoting this. I think it will, it would disincentivize the political extremism and political division that Republicans and Democrats do uh, culturally to distract from the fact that they're working together to, to, to rob us blind, I think it might make them say, actually, you know what, this is going to end up biting us in the tail. None of these people want to be involved in each other with each other anymore. Um, I, I think if it ever got extremely popular, then you'd see the push to what happened the last time there was a major secession movement. And it's funny because that secession movement was, even though the, the reason for the war wasn't to end slavery, the reason for the secession for the vast majority of participants, or at least the people in power, was to preserve the institution of chattel slavery. And the union said, no, 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 you can't leave the union and uh, you can't have slavery anymore. That's just for us. Now it's just for the Department of, of Bureau of Prisons and Department of Corrections. Um, but I, I, I do think that if uh, I, I, I would like to see there be more of an open discussion among people about, do we have to be a nation of 330 million people spread out over a, a, a massive uh, a geographical area and 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 a peninsula up in the Arctic and a, a series of islands thousands of miles away. Is this really like, do we have to be in the same political subdivision and, and why? I think that would be a helpful conversation. Yeah, for sure. If you hate your neighbor, then think about moving away from him and not having to live with him anymore. That's a lot easier than trying <laughs> to control him and turn him into yes. something you like. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, I always like talking to you, man. You give me you give me hope, whether or not it's uh, realistic. So, <laughs> there's that. Um, I uh, I know I've said this before, but thank you for sticking around. Like uh, the last pre uh, vice presidential candidate we had was a was more disappointing than January sixth, I'll say. And uh, <laughs> you, you've been great. You've stuck around and you've really tried to build this movement up. And I'm really appreciative of all that. Uh, but where can people keep up with you? Where can, do you have anything big coming up? I know this is the year of spike. What does that mean? On the scale of terrible things that have happened, there's 9-11. Then there's, uh, I guess, probably the entire 200 years of slavery. Uh, and then January 6th. And then Bill Weld. <laughs> like that's the, the, yeah, the hierarchy of, ter <laughs> of terrible things that happen to America. Bill Weld. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so... I mean, that's someone that we actually are glad didn't stick around. Um, anyway, um, yeah, yes. if people want to uh, if people want to follow me and, and get some more of that hopeless optimism, uh, then uh, um, no, uh, I am on my website is spikecohen.com. Uh, my Facebook 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram. I'm on TikTok for the kids now, and, and I'm actually on TikTok now. I'm actually doing stuff on TikTok. Uh, what does the year of Spike mean? Well, so after, you know, 2020 was the year of Spike campaigning for the Libertarian Party and, uh, and trying to spread the message that way. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I didn't accomplish every goal I wanted, uh, but I, I largely was happy with, with how that went. We certainly grew membership and, uh, and, and brought a lot of people into the movement and set the goals up for the electoral wins we had in April and in November of last year. Uh, last year, I spent going around and seeing just how much are we going to be able to do within the party? Like, are we going to be able to have any kind of unity? Uh, are we going to be able to try to, you know, uh, uh, put aside this factional differences within the party and, and move forward on that? Um, and, and, and what happened was I would go to a convention. I would talk about unity. I would remind everyone in there that we were largely on the same side on almost everything. And they would cheer and applaud and they'd all hold hands together and say, we love you, Spike. And then as soon as it was time for bylaws, platform, nominations, they went right back into their factions. And I thought, okay, well, that didn't work. And then the, but when I would just say, hey, here's an activism event we're going to do. We're going to go fight against this eminent domain action. We're going to go fight against this bad bill. We're going to go help feed the homeless and, and show some of the problems that are happening in this city or in this community. Uh, I'd have people show up who were part of Mises, part of anti-Mises, part of, you know, the party, but didn't even care about the factions, people who weren't even libertarians. I'd have people show up of all political stripes who were following me or who heard about what we were doing from, you know, local media coverage. And we'd all just work together. And it was from that that I thought, okay, I can keep banging my head into a wall, trying to convince a bunch of people that already agree with me, at least in theory, that we should work together, or I can just give them some shit to do so we can work together and bring more people into that. So the year of spike, once my body starts cooperating, the year of spike is going to be uh, a year, I guess it's the uh, third year, but uh, th this is going to be a year of focusing on localized activism. Yes, I'm still going to be going to some conventions, but I'm going to be going there to say, hey, let's go do this. Let's go work on this and let's go build this thing. And I'm not telling you leave the party or leave the convention. I'm not leaving the party and I'm not leaving the convention, but this ain't it. Like this is not where we should be putting all of our focus and, and encouraging a focus on actually bringing people into the movement through direct activism and direct action, which includes charity and mutual aid and park cleanups and all, all sorts of stuff. Get people into the idea of accomplishing goals and not fighting with each other and actually doing stuff and then saying, wow, we accomplished that. Here's the next thing for us to accomplish. So that's what you're going to be seeing from me. Where we go from there, who knows? Uh, but it's always a it's always an adventure. And I, I invite you to join me. All right. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, libertarians need to do a lot more than they talk. They're really good at talking, yes. especially behind a keyboard. But yes. when it comes to action, we leave a lot to be desired. But uh, thanks for joining me again, Spike. I'll be uh, live streaming again tomorrow night with Scott Horton and a few guys from the Utah Libertarian Party will be talking about Defend the Guard legislation. And nice. our upcoming event this weekend, I will be introducing Scott Horton for our event. Um, I've been tweeting that event out on Twitter if you need a link to it. And there's a link in the description for tomorrow night's live stream if you guys want to sign up for that. And we'll catch you guys on the next stream. Thanks.